Hey everybody, it's Dom McCurley, Trail Name Footage, and thanks for tuning in to the second episode of Hiker Trash, where we go inside the minds of the interesting thru-hikers and trail folk that make up the diverse trail community. There are thousands of people who set out each year in hopes to hike the numerous different long trails around the world in their entirety because of the hunger for great adventure and achievement. Anybody who has stepped foot on any of these trails knows that once you leave the trail, you realize that the trail never leaves you. With the intention of sparking some nostalgia, hearing some personal stories, and listening to advice from seasoned trail veterans, we bring you another Hiker Trash interview. Before we embark, I am excited to announce a new sponsor, Garage Grown Gear. Garage Grown Gear sells wildly cool gear from small and startup outdoor companies. If you are looking for some great gear from some incredible brands, head on over to garagegrowngear.com and use the code Hiker Trash at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. That's Hiker Trash as one word, no spaces. So be sure to check them out and take advantage of that exclusive discount. For the second episode, I interviewed another good friend of mine, Emily, trail named Jetson. I met Jetson and her uncle on the Appalachian Trail and ended up hiking over half the trail with them from Virginia all the way to Maine. She has a lot of great things to say and I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, I'm Jetson, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm 23 right now, but was 22 when I started hiking northbound 2016 on the AT. Can you describe what hiker trash means to you? Like when you hear that term, what comes to mind? Um, hiker trash, I feel like generally has sort of a negative connotation um, until you are a part of the hiker community and then you just revel in the fact that you're a part of that that name um i think trash is like garbage we smelled like garbage on the trail we looked like garbage and sort of people look down on you when you're through hiking um just because you're a little bit different something's kind of crazy about you to be out there in the first place so i think it means a lot of those things but essentially it also means community too which was cool right it, it is kind of a derogatory sounding term but I think anyone who's attached to it that has hiked um, is kind of proud of it in a weird way. Totally yeah you love it you embrace it. Okay so how did you first learn about the AT? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I think my first memory of of the AT or how I learned about it was through my dad. Um, you know this for sure. I'm largely inspired by my father. We have a really close relationship He's the one who got me into backpacking after my mother was backpacking with him for quite a few years. He basically let her off the hook when I was old enough to start backpacking with him. And that was, I think, around age 9 or 10. We went on our first backpacking trip. And he had always said, one day I'll hike the ATL through hike. And as he said that and sort of talked about what that experience might be like for him, I sort of joined in on that goal with him. And that became a mutual goal of ours to hike together. And that's not how it ended up happening. Um, I hiked with a different family member, which we will probably get into. Um, but yeah, I think the AT was introduced to me because I lived in Georgia and was familiar with those woods, but also because of my dad. That's cool. So you had the idea of hiking it when you were like 10? Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of immediately after my first backpacking trip, I think on the way home, my dad and I started talking about it because we were in North Georgia. We were backpacking in probably somewhere near Blood Mountain. And uh, yeah, and he had mentioned it and it sounded really exciting and challenging 
didn't have any idea really what to expect being 10, but yeah, it was something that, that seed was planted a long time ago. So that means that you had that dream for a while. Yeah, good, good bit. I mean, kind of piggybacking off of that, what made you hike the AT? Or what made you want to hike the AT? Yeah, so my dad, that kind of adventure with him, sharing that sort of adventure with him was definitely part of that initiative. Um, I've enjoyed every experience, outdoor experience I've ever had with him. I thought it would be a really fun bonding time for us. And he unfortunately couldn't come because he had just recently gotten a new job that he was very excited about, I was very excited about for him, but largely disappointed that he couldn't make it and we couldn't sort of develop that relationship or continue developing the great relationship that we already had. And so I started to embrace hiking solo and I just loved the idea of of embracing that kind of adventure. It's so raw and the more that I was backpacking um, and I've done a lot, a lot of backpacking, the more I sort of had a better idea. You can never have any idea of how difficult it's going to be to through hike the trail, but a better idea just from my own sort of occasionally mis miserable backpacking experiences. I was like, wow, imagine six months of this. And I'm a little bit masochistic. So I think that part appealed to me too. I was like, wow, what a cool challenge to walk away from that. And then afterwards you got to be able to say just like i can't believe i did that and i think to have that badge just for myself and for my own self-confidence was was really valuable that's awesome and i think that's a good point that you make and i think it's a common theme amongst everyone who hikes is it's all about timing i mean you planned on hiking it with your father for all these years since you were 10 years old yeah and when it came down to it the timing was right for you and not for him and it's crazy how things work out like that because it's kind of a sense of deliverance where he taught you about or at least showed you the trail and yeah. kind of got you there. But his life was going in one way at the same time. And I think you just you hear about that a lot. And a lot of people allow that to be an excuse to not do it. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that you did it yeah. anyway. Thanks. And like yeah, and you were embracing the fact that you thought you were going to do it on your own, which is cool. But that's something that should be said to people that want to hike in the future: is that things will go wrong, and it uh, seemed like it's it will even seem before like you get the right on time. the trail, things will go wrong. Right. Even before, that could totally turn you off the idea, and you just gotta you gotta get your butt out there. Just get to Springer, mm -hmm. in whatever way you can. Just get there. Just getting get there. there is always <laughs> It's important. First step. What was your life like before the trail? So right before the trail, I four months before, I graduated from the University of Georgia, had some science degrees, and was really thinking about a particular professional path. I've thought about being a doctor for a really long time, and I think I just wanted time to explore that career option. Um, out in the woods to, to be able to have the time to think about that. So I graduated, worked for a little bit at an outfitter store in Atlanta. Shout out to High Country Outfitters, they rock. Um, and then that was pretty much it right before the trail. Life in general was pretty good for me. I've always been like a pretty reflective person and that just intensified on the trail, I think. Um, but yeah, I was, I was pretty happy. Not, I mean, 
pretty positive relationships with my family. For the most part, people were supportive of the trail idea and me through hiking. Um, but yeah, I'd say I was, I'm pretty blessed. Yeah, good life before the trail. So you weren't trying to escape from anything. It was more of just looking to enhance your life and gain some experience. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody who goes out there is trying to escape in a sense. They don't know it until they get there. Then when you're out there long enough, you realize that you didn't even know you wanted to escape and you have. And so there was still like a sense of liberation and freedom associated with the trail when I got there. I didn't know that I needed a breath of fresh air. And I think I ended up really needing it, but that was totally not the reason I necessarily went in the first place. Yeah. So you, you've had this idea in your head since you're 10 years old. When did you actually make the commitment that you were going to go out and hike the AT? I guess, yeah, when I fully committed to hiking the trail, I, it was freshman year of college. I was talking to my advisor and I was basically having to plan out how and what length of time I wanted to graduate in college. And so I was going through kind of thinking about the classes I'd want to take and I knew that I wanted to hike in the spring. Northbound hike was it for me. I wanted the community of the northbound hike. I wanted that bubble of people and just that interaction with other hikers. And so I made that a priority and, and in doing so, I ended up having to graduate in three and a half years um, just to kind of accelerate that timeline so I could hike April, 2016. I should have graduated in May of 2016 and sort of cut it short in undergrad. So I'd say probably when I was 18, at the beginning of college, talking to my advisor, I was like, okay, let's do this. We're planning this so I can go hike. And she was about it. It was cool. Nice. Touched upon it a little bit earlier, but did you have any prior hiking experience? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me so, about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I backpacked a lot with my dad and loved that. And then I also worked as a backpacking guide for the University of Georgia for quite a few years with some of my best friends. That was kind of the intro to the outdoor community for me in the sense that there's kind of something special about people who live or spend so much time, practically live in the outdoors. And yeah, that was really great. Yeah, so that was kind of my introduction to, to having a family outside. And then I was like, cool, this is awesome. I feel like I'll get this on the trail too. But yeah, a lot of backpacking experience, leading, participating, enjoying. So you were pretty seasoned before you got out there? Yes. Were you confident that you were going to be able to do it? Too confident. Too confident? Yeah. Well, I think I, I went out there, I remember this one particular day. So I walked up, we walked on the backside of Blood Mountain. We ended up at the Wallasee Lodge. And I was like, I'm a veteran at backpacking. I totally got this. I thought my pack was perfect. It probably weighed 35 pounds, which I ended up getting to like a pretty solid 28 with a full resupply. And yeah, so I have this 35 pound pack. I got heavy boots on. I'm like, yeah, I got this. It's whatever. And I had all of these stupid things packed in my bag that I realized I totally didn't need. And old Emily was the seasoned veteran backpacking guide. Emily was like, yeah, this is gonna make me feel like I'm at home on the trail. I need my Lucy lantern and safety pins and all this stuff. And yeah, I think I was just like overzealous and one, one girl kind of gave me like a side eye 
when she saw how big my pack was and I was like, no, no, you don't know. Like, I got this. I'm gonna carry this all the way to Katata and didn't, did not carry all that to Katata. So yeah, it's probably too common. So you ended up having a shakedown. When was that? And what did um, you get rid of? So I got rid of the Lucy Lantern, obviously. Love those things. They're really great for car camping. What <laughs> or is that? Like What's a, a Lucy Lantern? Lucy Lantern is a solar-powered kind of inflatable lantern. They can change colors. I just had kind of a standard one that was like a nice light glow. Um, and I just thought that I would stick it in my tent at night and it would make me feel like I was at home. The trail's not about being comfortable. It's really not. And I think I realized that I don't know when I realized that. Probably probably within the first two weeks, I realized. Yeah, when my mom came and met us halfway through the Smokies, she took a, a ton of stuff back with me. So yeah, probably halfway through the Smokies, I had a pretty big shakedown. Sent a lot of stuff home that I definitely did not need. Well, did you at least use oh, the what, yeah. Lucy Lantern? <laughs> oh, in the first two weeks? Nope, didn't even use it. Oh, okay. Didn't even use it. But yeah, I got rid of boots too, actually. I ended up with trail trail runners, which what? is the way to go. What boots well, did you, you get like rid of? Um, I got rid of some Vasques, which I really like Vasques. I've worn quite a few pairs of them, but their trail boots are just really clunky. They do add weight and it was kind of crazy the how much lighter I felt after I got trail runners. Um, it was magical. Switched out for some ultras. They were the best move. I had ultras all the way to the end of the trail after that. Great shoes. So I'm assuming that your dad was pretty stoked about hearing that you wanted to hike the AT, but how did the rest of your family and inner circle re react to hearing that you were going to hike in the woods for five months? So, so actually my dad, my dad was like stoked for me, but was also really bummed. Um, that was really hard for both of us. I think I took it easier than he took it. So he was actually like a pretty big, I think everybody else not accepting the trail or whatever. I mean, I don't think my mom loved the concept, especially when I was going by myself. She definitely didn't like that concept. And then I think she also knew that it was sort of inevitable as the rest of my family did too. There's not really any talking me out of anything. Like anybody who knows me well knows that I can't really be talked down from a ledge once, I, once I've gotten up there. So I've done a lot of a lot of stuff just because I've been like, I'm doing it. And, uh, and I think my whole family was just kind of like, that's Emily, you know? She says she's going to do something. She doesn't, even if it's insane, which the trail definitely was. I'm not going to deny that. The trail's crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm not denying that. <laughs> I will second that and say it and is you gotta crazy. Be, yeah, you got to be crazy to be out there, too, mm -hmm. for sure. So I can imagine your mother's concerns. What was it like hiking the trail as a female? Oh, yeah. I mean... So I, I hiked with my uncle. Um, we became besties, which was really a uh, unique and unexpected thing to happen. He, I think, knows this, um, but I was not thrilled about him coming before we started. I really came to like the idea of hiking independently. So my idea of, of being a female on the trail, as I saw it, was kind of a, an awesome thing. Like, you're in this minority on the trail, so you maybe have a little bit more to prove, but also I was kind of confident that I was going to prove it. And so there was just this sense of, of being, yeah, part of a group of individuals to sort of pave the way for more women to, to hike the trail and just kind of be represented in the outdoors in general. And I remember I was hiking and I was at one of my lowest lows and uh, a girl came up to me and she was like, you have no idea 
how incredible it is to like see a female out here. And I was by myself hiking at that time. Like I wasn't with Michael. And so she just saw me and that would happen for long stretches. I just like kind of hike by myself during the day anyway. Um, but yeah, she saw me alone and she was like, it's just, it's inspiring to see like a woman out here on her own sort of pursuing something that a uh, like majority kind of males pursue in a really, yeah, male dominated environment. So that was, yeah, that was really, that was uplifting. It was really cool. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, it's walking, you know, like men and women walk the same. So physically, I think I felt just as capable as everybody else out there. You were, you were actually <laughs> much more capable than most of the men and women out there. Thanks. Yeah, Judson would be leading the pack on most days, just like crushing it <laughs> at a consistent and fast pace. Thus the trail name. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I was kind of surprised at how many women were hiking. I didn't True. expect to see that many. Yeah. Or maybe that was me being naive or ignorant or whatever, but... Yeah. No, I think, I think just the trail in general, I was surprised by one, the amount of people. That was crazy. Um, and every year there's more. And I think a lot of people, like I was even sort of deterred by the, the idea that there were going to be so many people out there. What is your experience if you're just surrounded? Like you want a little bit of that alone time and um, the solitude of the trail. And so I think I was sort of deterred by that, but it ended up being great. You find a community, you get to pick which people you want to be with. You don't get stuck with them. Um, and I think I got pretty lucky. Um, but yeah, I think there were a good bit there, there was a fair amount of women out there and most women that I knew that were hiking the trail started by themselves. So I, yeah, and I think that this is one thing for anybody who's considering through hiking and as a female, you are not alone, one, in being an individual female to pursue it, but two, you are never alone on the trail if you don't want to be. There are so many people hiking northbound that if you, you match your pace up with somebody else, you'll find a group of people to hike with. So there shouldn't really be a ton of concerns but from family or from a female hiker just because, yeah, you find, you find people to to hike with and keep you company and look out for you, so, yeah. Yeah, I think Wild, the book and the movie, had a big impression, and I think it only came out maybe a year or two before yeah. we hiked the trail. Yeah. And I think that was probably a reason that a lot of females were hiking, and it kind of showed two extremes of hiking as a female maybe. You can obviously speak more on it than I could, but the sense of like empowerment and just being able to do it on your own, but at the same time like she did have some like strange encounters because there are some creepy individuals everywhere. So <laughs> you're bound to run into them at some point. Yeah. I think that's just like kind of the depressing reality that women face and that happens in civil like I I felt I think more threatened in my normal life as a woman in civilization going through my everyday to day at work wherever um and like that's a really big thing that people are talking about right now and sort of exposing those interactions but yeah on the trail I mean it just happened less often for me but still yeah I mean there are creepy people everywhere I'm sure you felt threatened to like at some point you know along the trail maybe I don't know if you ever did but 
Yeah, there were some creepy dudes out there that I was... Oh, whoa. Story time. <laughs> Dang, yeah, you're right. Okay, well, so... And I don't know if, if, if anybody of, of a different sex would have felt differently about this, like, as threatened as I did, but there's this one guy who I actually met... Oh, this, okay, now they come out. Mm-hmm. Man, once you ask, I start realizing, oh, there are more than, there's more than one story. Um, yeah, so there's this guy I meet in Damascus. He's at this hostel. And we call him Blue Jeans. He looked like he pretty much just walked over to the hostel in Damascus after he cut some like people's lawn that morning. Like He had a white wife beater covered in like turf and just blue jeans. Had a, uh, an orange... Under Armour sweatshirt too. So yeah, we just got in the habit of calling him blue jeans. We all thought he was really weird in Damascus, but didn't feel threatened by him or kind of creeped out by him. I was just like, wow, what a weird dude. Hope we don't see him again. And then we saw him again, which was when it became unfortunate. <laughs> um, so we were at the Haas, whatever shelter it was. Yeah, along the trail. Partnership? Is that right? Cool. Yeah. Partnership shelter, which heads up, you can order pizza from, you should do it. Um, sweetest deal ever. But so some people went to go order pizza and it's a two-tiered shelter, which is also amazing. And so two-tiered shelter, gotta sleep on the top bunk, you know? So I climb up. The unfortunate thing about this shelter situation though is that there's one kind of attic um, hole that you can kind of climb up through to get to access that top loft area. And if somebody's blocking it, there's no way down. You're just up there with that person. And so Blue Jeans happened to be a partnership shelter that night. And I was like, oh man, this dude. And he tried to bum, I mean, he was trying to bum drugs off people. He was trying to bum food off people. Just like a mooch in all forms. And the closest drug he could find in that particular circle of people was Tylenol. Um, and he proceeded to crush the Tylenol and snort it off a shelter log, which was not really helping like our evaluation of his character and kind of increased my unease around him. And then I climbed up to just kind of go situate my stuff or probably grab some sort of jacket before I came back down because it was getting kind of chilly. And he followed me up into the attic and just sort of blocked that singular entrance. And I was right by a window, so if something happened, I could have screamed or, and I just remember thinking that moment, just the fight or flight thought of, okay, like, what do I do? Can I climb out this window? Like, what if he comes at me? There are a ton of people like here, you're gonna be fine. If you yell, it's gonna be okay. But just, I don't know, realizing that, okay, I'm gonna be fine, but it's just unfortunate that you feel that way at any point in life, whether it's on the trail or or in the real world, as they say. I think it was just like, really, I got to be out here doing me, communing with nature, having to deal with Tylenol snorting, blue jean wearing, wife beater, dude who's crazy, steals people's belongings. He tried to steal this girl's like North Face jacket, a girl's North Face rain jacket. And the girl was like, no, actually, that's my rain jacket. Like, it's not yours. And he was like, no, it's mine. We're like, dude, you're, you didn't buy this women's range jacket. Like, no, it's not yours. So just in all, always, I was just kind of like, that was, that was a particular experience where I was like, okay, this guy is bad news. How do I get myself out of this? And I just try to, I don't know, 
talk to him. And then I was like, cool, I gotta go, bye. Gonna just use that ladder you're standing in front of blocking me from. And then didn't go back up unless I was with somebody from that point. I remember, I think it was you telling me that story. And he ended up sleeping at the top tier. We were we were all actually there that night. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you were there too. And that was I can like attest, the first interaction, I think. I yeah, you, yeah, I can attest that this dude was a total creep and a weirdo. I mean, obviously, it was, it was pretty blatant once he uh, was ingesting the Tylenol. And he clearly wasn't a hiker. No, was, yeah. I don't even know if he Vagabond had a Vagabond is the word I would use. Yeah, I don't think he had a pack either. Yeah, he was just kind of there. Um, I don't know how or why. But was that you that ended up like sleeping near him? No, there was a different girl that ended up sleeping near him. And I heard weird continuous stories about it. He ended up throwing up on this other girl. Oh Later, gosh. we heard the story about how he like drank too much and started throwing up. So basically, he's just traumatizing people in this Virginia section of the trail. Um, just being, being, to be frank, a doucher, you know? Just why are you, you know, I... If you were out here like the rest of us and you really wanted to give it a shot, I don't care what your background is, what kind of baggage you're bringing to the trail. Like if you're out here to to find community with, with people and commune with nature, I don't have any issue with you. But the second that you start to threaten people or threaten their experience on the trail, that's when I got an issue. And he kept, he just kept doing it. He threw, yeah, he totally threw up on a girl because he drank too much. And I heard about that later. But no, I ended up getting a few of my guy friends to sleep like right next to me. Like I got, I sandwiched myself so that there was no possibility that he could put his sleeping bag down next to mine. It's probably a good call. Try to be strategic. Yeah. Um, I think that was a ukulele. Yep. Yep. Okay. That, yeah, that name right. just came to me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I think that he had just like set his stuff up next to her. And then I guess throughout the night kept like inching closer or whatever. Yeah. I which about that. Who knows if it was deliberate or because he was all trash or whatever, but that was just a weird experience with that dude just because he was the manifestation of, like, everything from civilization that, like, isn't good. Yeah. And somehow he made his way to the trail where people are kind of trying to, I don't know, take a break from that. Yeah. And just forcing his way in and just making people uncomfortable which was totally not cool and luckily it was only one night and i don't think we i didn't see him saw or heard from him again Mm -mm. yeah never again thank goodness good riddance from the trail at least you do you do you just don't do it near me man (laughs) do you just don't do it near me actually no i take that back don't threaten anybody just, like, be a good human. Even better advice. Yeah, thanks. I think so. What did you expect the trail to be like? I thought myself a seasoned veteran at backpacking, which I think you can be for sort of weekend excursions. Like, I had the weekend excursion deal down. Like three, four-day backpacking trips. Got it in the bag. Um, but the trail is just, like, this whole whole other monster. Um, the best kind. Um, but, yeah, just its own its own difficult challenge. And I guess I I expected it to be painful and I expected it to be, um, expected myself to like 
be upset sometimes and I was like, oh, I'm definitely gonna cry at some points or many points, but I don't think I ever expected to doubt wanting to be out there as much as I ended up doubting. And I have heard that that's not, like people feel differently about that. I don't even know like whether you, how often you doubted it. A lot. Um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I guess we all sort of. But I was talking to somebody recently who has a sister who through hiked and she said that her sister always felt like it was where she needed to be. And there was just a good chunk of the trail that I was like, why am I here? And I never, never expected to feel that way as much as I did when I was on the trail. Well, that is a testament to the saying, hike your own hike, yeah. because it's totally different um, from person to person. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think a lot of people did experience an immense amount of doubt somewhere along the way. You're out there for so long, doubt is bound to creep in. You have too many hours thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's part of the challenge about it, because the mental challenge is so much harder than the physical challenge because once you get into shape, you get your trail legs, whatever, you're cruising, it's second nature. Yeah. But you just got to battle with that voice in your head asking you, is it worth it? Why am I out here? Why am I sacrificing this? Why am I sacrificing that? And it is, it's a big challenge, but everybody deals with it in different ways and that's why the trail experience is different for everybody who hikes it. Yeah. And that's why I'm having the conversation with you because everybody has something completely different to say about this one trail and about whatever long trail they might have embarked on. But it's definitely a life-changing, altering experience. And yeah. it will just test you in crazy ways. And the ways that you deal with that are what totally differ from human to human. Yeah, it's kind of incredible. I like looking at life as a spectrum. I worked with autistic kids for a little bit when I was 15, did some volunteering, and they look at, they diagnose autism on a spectrum. And I just thought, what a cool way to also just view life. Everything, every condition is, is on a spectrum. And I remember thinking that on a trail. I was like, you know, everybody out here is coming from different places and all of their viewpoints. It's just all part of this sort of, yeah, this, this spectrum or like kind of collage of different of different feelings and emotions. Like at sometimes I would feel really upset and then Michael would be really happy. And then sometimes we'd switch and we were in, we were every emotion in between in every physical state. Sometimes I was in euphoria. I felt like my body was a machine and I was crushing. And then sometimes I don't think that I've ever felt pain as severe in my life. And yeah, just like kind of that, that scope of experience, physical and mental is is what makes everybody so unique because it's like a cool crazy yeah unique combination of all of those things circumstance and whatnot that's the greatest part of the trail backpacking experience is that you experience the highest highs and the lowest lows like you're constantly going up and down literally on mountains and figuratively <laughs> elevation and emotionally, and emotionally. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's true. But that's a good part about it is that you know you're experiencing life so purely every moment of the trail. And that's, I think, what helps keep you going and helps keep you motivated because you know it's such a special period of time in your life and that this is like an awesome chapter. Like Yeah. So knowing that definitely helps to keep you going and keep you balanced. But in the real world, whatever, normal, more routine life, 
you're kind of just coasting and you're in the middle of the of the chart or of the graph where the highs and lows are much closer together and i think a big draw to get to the trail is that you want you know you want to tip the scales a little bit and experience what it's like at the limits and just see how high and how low you can actually go yeah i'm always like really inspired by those those men and women who do like kind of that crazy BMX like mountain biking stuff just they shred it's amazing and I think what is it to be out there every day pushing yourself to your physical limit and also your mental limit because they're just running on this adrenaline they're in danger like if they if they do a flip wrong they break their neck that's that could be it for their life not just for their career you know and the trail kind of gives you that indulgence. You get to you get to experience a little bit of that. This is what it feels like to be an extreme athlete kind of vibe. And I totally dug that on the trail. I was like, I feel, yeah, I feel like a machine. I feel like a professional hiker out here. And that was cool. It is cool. You feel like above average or <laughs> at least a little bit extraordinary because you know you're part of this ex- in yeah, in some ways exclusive group. Um yeah. And knowing that not everyone can do this or wants to do this, so it it is definitely cool to be able to to feel that. So, in those moments of severe doubt, what would you tell yourself? What was your self talk? Okay, so I'm gonna throw out a piece of advice. I got this piece of advice. Rome Mountain, beautiful woman named Dea. Shout out to Dea. She's awesome. I'm approaching. This is my life mantra now, people. When you start anything as challenging as the trail, any life pursuit, whether you're thinking about through hiking or whether you're thinking about um, becoming a lawyer or um, pursuing your own podcast venture or becoming an entrepreneur, designer, um, whatever you choose to do that you're really passionate about that also seems like this big dream, write before you started pursuing it, maybe somewhere in the beginning, put on a piece of paper how you feel and why you feel driven to do it. And I didn't do that before I started hiking and I really wish that I had because I think it would have been so helpful along the trail to have had something to reflect on that was like past Emily saying, current Emily who's miserable and doubtful, this is why you're gonna keep going. And today I had done that and so I did that at Rome Mountain. I wrote on a piece of paper in my journal, which I kept religiously, um, why I felt like I was out there and pretty much the reason that I was out there, um, or kind of the thing that I turned over in my mind is you don't know, you don't know the possibilities that you would be missing out on if you decided to, to leave this experience. And I think that's true in, in life always. And I realized that even at the end of the trail, like I felt that in Pennsylvania, I felt that in, I felt that in Maine. Like I, I wanted to quit in the hundred mile wilderness. I was on the doorstep of Katahdin and I wanted to quit. And I just thought, Emily, how foolish you are to think that the trail has taught you everything that you needed to learn. So I think, yeah, from that day forward, I was just like, row a mountain on. I was like, you don't know what you need. You don't, you just, you don't know. Keep walking, because the trail's gonna tell you what you need. And you gotta, you gotta be there till the very end to kind of soak all of that wisdom and experience out of the trail. So that was sort of my self-talk, my mantra. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a very humbling philosophy. Yeah. 
to realize that you don't know. Life is unpredictable. And uh, one of the best phrases on the trail, which I think you can agree with, the trail provides. And the trail provides in very tangible ways, like let's talk trail magic, you know, like some really amazing ways. Um, but I think part of the the um, ethereal magic of the trail is everything that's intangible about it, which are those kind of things that you learn about yourself along the way. And magic is unpredictable and you can never really know how it manifests. And that was true of the things that I learned about myself on the trail. That's a really good way to put it. And it kind of sounds to me like, you know how people, they'll say that, you know, I want to go traveling. I want to do this and I want to do that because I want to find myself and I want to, you know, it seems like a cliche kind of like cheesy thing to say but in essence I think it's less about finding yourself and more about putting like forcing yourself into an environment where you're more willing to be open Mm -hmm. to things yeah and I think everyone who steps foot on the trail is doing that just because you're experiencing new things every second of every day and the fact that you you go out there kind of expecting supernatural things yeah (laughs) for lack of a better word just extraordinary things to happen to you and that's not necessarily what happens but you're just more open to seeing them as extraordinary yeah because you put yourself there and you're forcing yourself to change your perspective and you're totally just out of your element all the time and you have to make home out of this ever-changing trail yeah and so i don't think you're finding yourself per se but you are allowing yourself to function in a new environment which opens you to another part of you that you wouldn't experience if you hadn't gotten out of your comfort you know totally yeah I think one of the biggest things that I've realized just in what I did after I got off the trail and now my own perspective just pursuing things in life you just you don't learn anything about yourself when you're comfortable because you're not really pushing yourself and the trail like I said before is just it's not about being comfortable and that sucks (laughs) and it makes you miserable because you're not comfortable and nothing is familiar and it's changing and new challenges pop up every day and things that you didn't like about yourself keep showing up and you're like geez what I thought I conquered this um but yeah just you learn so much when you're in that space of of uncomfortability yeah, what's, sure. what's that quote? Life begins outside of your comfort zone? Yeah, like at the edge, the edge of your comfort zone, right? Yeah. Who said that? Eleanor know. Roosevelt, maybe? I don't know why. I think that's it. She seems like the woman to say something like that. I remember she was also the one to say, do something like you fear, one thing you fear every day. Oh, that something might have like been that. it. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually looking at Which up, I also think is awesome. So yeah, say that again. That's another great one. Um... Do do one thing that you fear every day. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's... Which is very similar to being outside of your... Like, it's that, that unknown is fear. Outside of your comfort zone is, is fear. Okay. Since we have technology and I have a phone in my hand, yes. and we can clear this up really quick, yes. life begins at the end of your comfort zone, said by Neil Donald Walsh. Sounds like a cool dude. Yeah, it's a really, really good like quote. I, I'm going to now read about... Neil Diamond Walsh. Might as well. Yes. If you're going to quote him. If you, I mean, yeah. If he's, got that, if he's laying down that kind of wisdom, <laughs> I want to know who, who he is. Spitting knowledge mm-hmm. for days. Before we get too far away, I really liked what you were saying about 
what Daya said to you and about how it affected you, I just think it's so important to make goals, Mm -hmm. whether, I mean, writing them down is obviously, I think, the best way of getting them out there and making it a clear, concise goal that you can visualize. Um, Visualization is also, like, totally key in achieving what you set out to do. But I just think, and this from personal experience that this is coming from, that when you don't actually make a clear-cut goal or dream or achievement that you want to achieve at some point, then you're just kind of floating around. Yeah. And that's when people get really down and they get really lost. And it's just because, well, are you working towards anything right now? Direction means a lot. Yeah, exactly. You have yeah. to feel like you're constantly progressing because if if you don't feel like that, then you just you can feel like helpless or just confused. And no one wants to feel like that, but I just truly really think that as long as you know what you're after and you know that you're doing the steps little by little to to get closer to that goal to achieve that Mm -hmm. that it makes all the difference and the trail is just like the perfect just metaphor microcosm whatever you want to call it for that because you you have to set goals and it is just in itself just obviously a trail but there is a finish line and it's you can't see it a lot of the time, but you know it's there. You, yeah. When you're at the top of Springer, uh, you know Katahdin's <laughs> waiting for you. Geez, so many just, miles away. Just over the horizon. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I remember the first glimpse of Katahdin. Just, I think I was so tired I was maybe moved to tears just because, like, the thought of Katahdin being there. Like, God, make this please end. Um, but, yeah, just finally seeing it was, was something was an experience in and of itself because you're just waiting for that day when it's within like viewing distance because you're just looking at all these mountains for months Mm -hmm. and they're never Katahdin until it is (laughs) and you made it and then you look down at your beat up trail runners and you're like thank you feet (laughs) (laughs) thank you for bringing me here you guys have been through a lot (laughs) yeah what was the best moment you experienced on the trail? I was hoping you were going to ask this question at some point. Um, so, <laughs> I have this concept about birthdays. I don't love my birthday because I feel like I always expect it to be this magical thing and then it always disappoints and my mom is always like, I'm sorry, I never did anything good for you for your birthday. And I'm like, it's not your fault. It's my kind of unreasonable expectations I guess for my birthday for it to just be like this serendipitous magical thing and I got that on my 22nd birthday on the trail and you were a part of it it was awesome um and I think that's like when you officially that was that was when you started hiking with us the day before my birthday was sick my birthday was sick it was an amazing series um so yes this whole encompassing um story is is probably one of the best moments um for me on the trail and just very descriptive of like the beautiful trail magical serendipitous nature of the trail um but michael and i were hiking and dom here footage um sort of 
slept in a shelter with us the day before and then we ended up being like yo just like meet us at the next shelter this is where we're headed we think it's pretty good mileage for the next day and this was the day before my birthday and I saw a stream on the profile um on the trail profile for that day and I was like I'm getting in that stream like this is going to be a birthday cleansing I'm getting in the stream love it I love water I'm a fish so got in the stream it was freezing Kind of dumb move, still don't regret it. Got out of the stream, there was this really nice couple who was doing awesome trail magic, PB&Js, chips, which is always great. And we were sitting there, I was trying to dry off in the sun because I was really cold, and this amazing guy, L. Gixon, walks up and walks past us. And we start back on the trail after the trail magic, and Michael catches up with L. Gixon. And I'm like, you know, doing me blind, like, not opening myself up to the serendipity of the trail because I'm just like freaking cruising. And I get to this shelter and I'm sitting hanging out and Michael had introduced himself and he comes to realize that this man that he's been hiking with um, is a psychiatrist and has some sort of affiliation with both UNC and Duke School of Medicine and me kind of wanting to pursue medicine. It's just this amazing like, oh my gosh, I got to talk to this guy. Also, I love psychology. And so after that little break, I think it was maybe lunch, El Gixon and I ended up hiking for the next four or five hours together up this ridiculous switchback climb. Um, and we talked about religion. I told him these recurring dreams that I had and he was trying to decide what they meant. And it was just, I for so long had been looking for kind of one of those friendships with somebody or in like even a brief interaction with somebody who wasn't my age, who had so like life experience, but could connect with me in a way that was like I was talking to just a, a friend. And he totally was that. And he was so open in everything that he was. I was like, I want to be this. Like, this guy is so cool. Um, and that was like the day before my birthday. And that, that conversation, that four-hour hike, we creeped. Um, because it was pretty steep hill, but that was like a birthday present in and of itself just because of Yeah, the amazing conversation we had and then that night we ended up sort of stealth camp camping At this site weird water source, but these guys had fished in the stream that I swam in and made fish on the fire They gave us some of the fish that they had packed up from the stream that they had fresh caught that day So I'm the night before my birthday. I mean like grilled backwoods fish which was awesome a little bit nervous about like maybe getting sick but you know go for gold had the fish it was amazing ended up having some kashi cereal which is my favorite of all time cinnamon crumble that night and the next morning and you were there and we started talking about the seven cycles of life and then that was when i was starting to understand how cool you were and i was like wow this guy's got to hike with us like he's got some he's got some good stuff to say and yeah, we just started talking about The Alchemist and like L. Gixon joined in and we were talking about how you got to open yourself up to the, the flow of the universe and, and that was just what the trail was and everything about it was amazing. And then the next day happened. Great, just cruising, cruising all day. Ended up getting L. Gixon's information, got his email, talked to him since and that was cool. And then we get to this bridge which we end up jumping off of and you get on video, which was awesome. So I get to swim again. And then we cross a bridge 
we make dinner and then we hike, we night hike, which love me some night hiking when, you know, you're in a good mood for it. And then we stealth camped at this amazing view, stars everywhere, great sunrise the next morning. And our friend Pickles is with us. And so is Michael and Dom. We're all at this spot and a bear comes through and Pickles starts playing Biggie Smalls. And the bear is like, like walking through our campsite we're all just like don't get out don't get out maybe it will not come kill us like let's just all hope just pray that this bear leaves us alone and I remember that's when Pickles played Biggie and the bear I guess didn't like Biggie because it just left after he played Biggie and then we're all like in the middle of the night just like jamming to Biggie for a little bit like simultaneously in our tents and hammocks just like jamming to Biggie and it just I mean does it get better You know, like it doesn't get better than that. That's the best birthday I've ever had and probably will ever have in my whole life. Super eventful. (laughs) That was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, but that that was some awesome times on the trail. Yeah. What did Pickles say? I just remember it being such like a golden quote. (laughs) And we just like laughed about it for like minutes afterwards. I'm sure it's in my journal. I'm sure it's in my journal. All right. You gotta look that up and we'll put it in the show notes. I think he, he said something like, he sounded like he knew, and he was just like, oh, yeah, bears don't like Biggie Smalls. Yes. Like, I don't know. Like, was... he was so convinced that, like, yeah, Pickles is a funny guy, too. But, yeah, he was just, yeah, he seemed so convinced that, like, this was going to be it. Like, bears go away when Biggie comes around, you know, <laughs> just, like, something like that. But uh, it was the best. That was an amazing campsite, too. Oh, Just to sick. paint a picture, I think... Yeah, we were like stealth camping. I don't think that was a campsite at all by any means. We were on like a cliff. We were looking for a campsite. Yeah. There was a campsite near there. And then we ended up just being like, no, no, we're going to just park it at this like cliffside almost. Right. We'd been night hiking for a while and we knew there was a view coming up. And then I think once we found it, we're like, all right, we can fit here. Yeah. Because me and you had tents Tents. and pickles and Curly had hammocks. So there was plenty of room. Not that comfortable, but it was an amazing spot, and we watched the sunri- sunrise or sunset. I forget. Maybe, maybe it was a, no, it wasn't sunset because it was already night. Right, yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, so yeah, I think it was sunrise. sunrise. Yeah. But yeah, we still had like a cool view of the stars. It was just, I mean, temperature was great. Everything about it, it was, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Did we sleep without the covers on our tent? Because we didn't cowboy camp, but I yeah, remember. we did. We slept without flies. Yeah, without flies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Just, like, looking up at the stars. Yeah, doesn't get better. Good times. Sorry that was so long. <laughs> um, what was the worst moment? Mm, I also have this one. So, I feel like I've done shout-outs, but... We hiked with this really awesome guy named Calorie. Calorie's from Jersey. Hope he gets on here at some point. Probably will. Um, Cal's amazing. This is a testament to how amazing he is. So, everybody hates Pennsylvania. We're not going to beat around the bush. Pennsylvania sucks. It's the second half. It's the worst. Had to buy a new pair of shoes after that. Also, Pennsylvania is the state in which I had my most miserable moment on the trail. My mom can attest to this too because I called her crying and talked to her for about three miles. I cried for three miles. Let me just put that in perspective. That's an hour of crying. At least. An hour. Of crying and I that was not it was probably at least three miles too I probably cried more than that on and off throughout the day but it had rained consistently as it is likely to do when you're on the trail at the most inconvenient times 
So we're getting pelted while we're on these sides of rocks and I'm like trying to cling to this rock like a mountain goat while it's like pouring rain and I'm slipping off these rocks. My feet are miserable. And then the day before my worst day, I was like, you know what? We're just gonna do this. So I'm hiking just with calorie at this point um, for a week because Michael had to go back to New York um, and you were at your dad's wedding. And so the two of us are hiking and I was in pretty good spirits that night before. We got in our tents, everything was soaked, but like I still didn't feel as bad as I did the next day. I woke up and my feet hurt so bad, just raw, which I think you've also felt. Maybe it was also in Pennsylvania. I think it was a combination of wet socks. My socks never dried the whole time of the second half of Pennsylvania. Wet socks, kind of beat up shoes, and those rocks, like worst nightmare. And so we're pushing it 18 miles just to get to Delaware Water Gap. Last stop in Pennsylvania. Like, I just want to get the heck out of this state and into Jersey. So I was like, Cal, we're doing it. You know, tomorrow is the day we get into Jersey and we just say, you know, we just shoot a huge bird at Pennsylvania as we leave. And um, I made it probably 10 miles into that day and felt like there was a small pebble in my right shoe. Took my shoe off, checked it out. There's nothing in there. And I saw this weird blister start to form on the bottom of my right foot. And then it happened to my left foot. And I'm like, there's no way there's like a little pebble in both shoes at the exact same spot. So I keep hiking and I'm like, there's no way to go but north. Like I have to go. It's That's it. And so I ran into people and tried to stay strong, tried to walk on the outsides of my feet to avoid the blisters. And they basically ended up covering the entire ball of my foot, my heel and my big toe um, on both feet. And I thought about taking my shoes off and hiking barefoot because I thought it was my shoes. Um, I tried a lot of different combinations without socks, with socks. And yeah, I got three miles out from Delaware Water Gap and that's when I called my mom and I was just like, why did you ever let me come out here? I hate anybody who ever told me this was a good idea. I hate myself. I hate this trail. There were a lot of expletives. Sorry, mom. Um, and she just felt bad because I'm crying. She's like, my baby's however many thousand miles away and there's nothing I can do and she's miserable and she still has an hour of hiking left to go. And I remember the second I hit pavement, I took off my hiking shoes and put on my flip-flops. That hurt too. And then I got to a bench in Delaware Water Gap outside this really great produce stand. I ate like a whole whoopie, like a whoopie sandwich, whatever it is, whoopie pie. Whoopie pie. Yeah, cookie things. And got cold water and put it on the bottom of my foot. There are people like walking around this really nice, you know, cute establishment. And I'm crying at this bench with like my foot over my knee, just like pouring water over it and like shaking because my feet hurt so bad. And uh, we ended up getting a hotel room that night, ate each like a little pint of Ben and Jerry's and decided we would head into Jersey the next day. Watch Shrek the next morning. Great way to go out. Thank you, Pennsylvania, see you never. But that was my worst day, by far. Never been lower than that. Hate Pennsylvania. That sounds terrible. Yep. It sounds absolutely awful. It was the worst. Thank you, Cal. He also used his like point membership points to get the hotel room. He didn't even let me pay for it. He got the hotel room and then he was like, because I was like, no, let's just, we're getting out of New Jersey because that's who I am. I'm crazy. So he, I was like, we're getting into New Jersey. Like, I hate Pennsylvania. Please, like, I will sleep on the other side of the state line. Just get me out of the state. And Calorie was like, it's not worth it. It's not, you need a night to like, 
find something to make your feet doable for the next few days and then you get a break. And I was like, okay, you're right, you're right. And then he got the hotel room and it was the best move ever. Trail magic comes in all shapes and sizes. Oh man, thank God for good friends. Find yourself some, makes the biggest difference. (laughs) In life, on the trail, whatever. What was the best trail magic that you experienced or trail angel? Oh, okay, I'm gonna tell this story. Curly may want to tell it again, but it's better being a third party viewer of this story than actually being Curly. So the best trail magic I received was watching somebody else receive the best trail magic of their life. We're headed into Fontana Dam. There's a shelter there, right? It's apparently some like really cool shelter. It was lame. Don't get too excited about it. Also, nobody tells you that it's like there's a stretch between the marina and the shelter. So we thought, oh, sweet, the marina. Like we must be close to the shelter. This is when my dad was still hiking with us before we got to the Smokies. So it was my dad, my uncle Curly slash Michael and myself were hiking and this mile stretches on forever. Like my dad is pissed. He's thrown his hiking poles on the side of the trail. We're la- I'm like laughing in the back cause they're both angry cause we saw this trail magic sign. They're like, where is this trail magic? Then there's some chump on the side of the lake who's like, you guys might miss all the trail magic. You're kind of late. And I was like, no, this is not the right thing to say to us right now. Like these two are gonna go berserk if we miss this trail magic. We didn't miss the trail magic. It was amazing. Best trail magic ever. Um, So we roll up to the Fontana Dam shelter. We're like, nobody's down here. No, that's because it's up in the parking lot. So we leave our stuff. We hike up to the parking lot, which is not just like a walk really more than a hike. And there are all these like game day tents, like probably a lot of Tennessee Vols logos, but just all these cool game day tents and under them, hamburgers, hot dogs, donuts. People are making like sandwiches with donuts, a hamburger in the center of two donuts. I mean, just like stuff that would blow your mind if you're starving and burning 5,000 calories a day. You see Rice Krispie treats, uh, powdered donuts, chocolate milk, personal favorite, um, Sprite. I mean, just all kinds of soda. It's amazing. It's a feast. There are so many hikers here. There are so many trail, trail angels who are out here volunteering. And there's this one woman or man, can't remember, one individual comes up to the three of us, my uncle, my dad, and I, and offers us water. And I, <laughs> I've never seen anybody drink water as quickly. Like it was inhaling. Curly took this water and it was one of those plastic water bottles, normal size and just flattens it into his face, like sucks it, sucks the water in while simultaneously crushing the bottle to his face so that when he took it away from his mouth, it was like a flattened water bottle, no water in it. Did that to like two water bottles. And I'm like over here trying to chug it, you know, cause I'm thirsty too, but I'm just watching this just distressed for him, but also laughing because he just was so thirsty. And so he's like crushing water bottles in his mouth crushes two like Fantas or orange crush sodas, starts getting pissed because all these um, yellow blazers are here taking all of our, our well-deserved, well-earned <laughs> food and drink. So he's like getting feisty. He's like, those are my hot dogs. Those are my <laughs> <laughs> I think he eats. I don't know how he didn't get sick. Like I, he, he didn't get sick after this. I'm pretty sure he ate like five hot dogs. <laughs> He ate like five hot dogs, a series of hamburgers. My dad and I ate a good bit too, but I've never seen anybody eat. Even 
Oh, this wasn't even that far into the trail. I never saw him eat that much food ever again as he ate at that trail magic. He was so excited. This was probably our first good trail magic. He was so excited that it was one free, that it was two plentiful. <laughs> and three, like we were just, it's that concept of when you are so tired and so hungry beyond reason that, that like the most disgusting thing could probably taste good. So those are probably the best hamburgers and hot dogs I've had in my entire life. And who knows what they were seasoned with, you know? Or what kind of meat it was, or you could have been using some off-brand buns. Like, I would not have cared. <laughs> I mean, that was, it was amazing. But yeah, I will never, never not remember that image of him and the, the disgust of the person who handed him the water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was, it doesn't get, it's not better than that. That was best. And to put it in perspective, he's he's skinny. He's like really skinny. Oh yeah. So he's like a matchstick. <laughs> to imagine him eating that much food is yeah crazy. Yeah, we always say like with people in our family who eat a lot. Like, what do you have a wooden like a hollow leg? That was true of Curly. I mean, most of the times on the trail, he would eat so much food that I'm like, where is it going? But that time particularly, whoa, really, where was it going? Oh my gosh. All right. So we mentioned your trail name mm -hmm. at the top of the episode and in passing a little bit, but how did you get your trail name? So disclaimer, <laughs> I didn't end up really liking my trail name or thinking that it was fitting. Um, I had this expectation that I was going to have this like glorious story about my trail name. And I think you touched on this some with, with Chuck and with your own name, you sort of chose footage. Um, and I chose Jetson and that it was like offered up um, as an idea story that I can tell. Um, and I was like, oh, I like that. Like, I'll go with it. And that was probably like five days in. Maybe I should have waited a little bit. But basically my dad and I were hiking and we came out of the gates, like the beginning of the trail pretty fast. Um, and Michael was like a little bit behind us, but my dad and I were just like crushing miles. He's already been known like in his own backpacking career um, as like turbo or master blaster just like all these like super fast speedy names and so it, it seemed only fitting that the apple didn't fall far from the tree and this couple from boston as we whizzed past was like there go the jetsons because they're flying and i loved that dude he was hilarious um and i was just like i would be okay if that kind of person gave me a trail name and so once he said that i was like i could be jetson i could i could do that and i think that the name was fitting because i hiked pretty fast there are certainly people out there who like cruised way faster than I did, hiked greater mileage during the day. Um, but yeah, then people just, my nickname in real life is just M all the time. So I was Jetson to some people and M to others. And I don't know, I kind of liked that. It was Jetson to most people that you encounter on the trail, yeah. but to your inner circle and yeah. to those who had become your trail fam. Yeah. Um, it was M. Yeah, Terry started that because I remember I told him offhand one day, I was like, I don't like, I don't like Jetson. I don't, I don't feel like it, I've, I've been able to have this name for a certain period of time and I just don't feel like it's super fitting. Like, I feel like there's something else. And, and he was like, well, what do people usually call you? And I was like, I don't know, I usually just get M. And he was like, well, now I'm just going to call you M. So in Chelter Logs, he would start signing my name. The hiker formerly known as Jetson, now M, <laughs> which was awesome. So yeah, anybody who knew me well pretty much called me M, which I liked having that dichotomy. 
I remember when I first started hiking with you guys, I think Curly would just, he's like, oh yeah, um, Jetson doesn't really like her name, like, yeah. I think she's going to go by him, and he was kind of like forcing, like, there were a few times where you would meet new people, and he would say that your name was M, and yeah. like kind of force you to go back to what yeah. um, you liked, but uh, I also remember you telling me that having your trail name made you, made you discover how much you actually liked your name. Totally. Because you said that you didn't really, you never loved your name. I forgot about that. And yes. And then you got this trail name and then you're like, I don't really like that name. You know what? My name is actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Emily is, you know, like a lot of girls my age had the name Emily. There were two other girls on my soccer team growing up who had the name Emily. Like that's a lot for an 11 person team or whatever it was. And yeah, I just, I was named after my great grandma. So it's meaningful, but, um, and my great grandma was pretty cool. She was, she was an outspoken woman very strong um and so I respected that and yeah totally when I got Jetson I was like wow I really do like M M rocks and I liked that people who knew me called me M felt special yeah don't ever put too much stock on what your trail name is with that being said some trail names spot on and it's just kind of fun you know it's just it is a cool it's a cool tradition you know Mm -hmm. yeah people that hear about that I think think it's weird i don't know why and it sounds a little tacky or something or, yeah. or weird when maybe four you're standing on the outside yeah but uh it's cool i think it's awesome it's, cool. it's just like a new way to interact with people and yeah it's kind of like an introduction to their personality a little bit if, if it is like a fitting name like you said and to me it sort of solidifies that us and them vibe like when you step onto the trail you're trying to create a different world for yourself trying to kind of mesh yourself into this alternate universe. And part of that is like the disrobing of your former self and kind of the accepting of this like new self that you're trying to create while you're on the trail Mm -hmm. and thereafter. It's almost like you're forfeiting your ego. Yeah. If only that was actually a little bit. Yeah. 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 Something along those lines. What was the most memorable trail name that you heard? Um, Bacon Tears. Bacon Tears. Do you know how that person oh, got yeah, that name? I do. Um, loved this. Oh, I remember yes, now. Yes, yes, okay. This one's good. Hope that the girl who is known as Bacon... I think she ended up going by something different later because she didn't like Bacon Tears. Girl, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so she... I think this girl was a vegetarian for a pretty pretty long time. And um, I will say that it's not be it's not easy being vegetarian on the trail. Um it's just hard finding calories and like, you know, sides and chicken and tuna, like canned chicken and tuna and that sort of stuff, like always is sort of an easy, easy thing to eat on the trail. But then also when you go on, go into town, you just like want a hamburger. You want something that is that calorically dense. So she was having a hard time, I think, being veggie on the trail. Um, but for whatever reason, felt conflicted. And I guess I heard different ideas of the story. <laughs> this is like now myth. Um, legend, but she goes to this trail magic and there's bacon and can't have bacon as a vegetarian. That's against all things, but she goes and she eats some bacon and she starts crying. So they're like, Oh my God, bacon tears. So she gets the name, but where there's a little bit of, um, uncertainty is why was she crying? Were the tears out of happiness, realizing what she had missed out on for so long, this incredible strip of bacon or was it tears of sadness and remorse for having lost her conviction to be a vegetarian? 
the world will never know unless she comes on the show. <laughs> Bacon tears. Bacon tears. I liked that one. It's good. Is it weird that I'm slightly moved by that story? <laughs> yeah. Whichever way, you know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like emotion. I'm an I'm an emotive person, so I appreciate that that she felt moved to tears in whatever direction. The mystery of it being one of the highs or one of the lows. Yeah. Very curious. Yeah, same. What was the best meal that you had in town? The best meal. Okay. The best meal I had in town was the day that I um, underpacked. I had a, a very, very low food bag that time. And so what happens too sometimes when you resupply is you think, especially the farther you get into the trail, one, the more hungry you get, and two, you probably are crushing miles, you know? But your body is just like eating itself at a certain point. Um, and, and so I remember this was in Maine, Southern Maine. And I can't remember what the town was, but this was a sick town. We ended up getting the hotel room there, and they had that awesome lake and the nice Adirondack chairs out there. We had barbecue in that town. But the best meal, um, just by circumstance, um, or one of the best, I have one other, but one of the best was this hamburger. I had root beer. Root beer is my favorite soda. Had a root beer, hamburger, curly fries. It was just incredible. Um... And that was after I, yeah, had basically no food for 14 miles. Like I woke up that morning without food. Um, and then I had some meager dinner the night before because I totally underpacked or underestimated how hungry I was going to be in that stretch. So I had run out of food and, and whatever town that was had an incredible hamburger, multiple glasses of root beer. And it was just, it was awesome. And then I had, oh. I had amazing blueberry ice cream right across the street from there. Ended up meeting Lachlan, super cool girl that we met right at the end there, um, who was going southbound. We got ice cream together. Yeah, have some good food. That barbecue that night was good too. Some good barbecue. Sweet potato fries. Whoa, sweet potato. I'm obsessed with sweet potatoes. Um, and those fries were, were everything. They were life giving, truly. What was that town? Was it Stratton? It might have been Stratton. Yeah. You don't remember the name of the restaurant that we ate at, do you? No, I don't remember the name of it. All right, we'll have that. to look that up. Yeah. Or the ice cream place across the street, but they were very close to each other, and I can... Mm-hmm. I, I remember that ice cream place. Oh, the other food place, though, if you, God willing, you make it, right before the 100-mile wilderness, there's a guy who makes, like, 13 pancakes in the middle of the woods. You have to go there the night before, pay, and let him know that you're going to be there the next morning. Coffee, juice, milk, amazing pancakes, Zodiac books... Check it out. That that dude's awesome. He also has a piano, hummingbird feeders, rocking chairs, and they were red, white, and blue pancakes, as in they had blueberries and strawberries or raspberries and something else in them, and I ate all of them. And I didn't think I was going to, but I did. And they were delicious. I think he gave us bacon, too. And eggs! Whoa. Yeah, that was amazing. That was sick. What was that called? Because that was awesome. Yeah, I also decided we'll we'll have to include that in the notes because that guy needs a shout out. Mm -hmm. He was also just such a kind soul. Yeah, I'll look it up. It will definitely be in my journal. I just didn't look it up before. Yeah, I remember you playing the piano. Yeah. And then we were just kind of watching the hummingbirds Mm -hmm. at the feeder for like a while. Yeah. Just like a really cool, like old rickety place in the middle of the woods. Yeah. I think it was maybe like a half mile off trail or something. Yeah. We had like little like shed 
place that you can rent out. Yeah, showers and whatnot that you could pay for, I think, even if you didn't stay there. Just a nice guy. And as a through hiker too, you always are like half mile, like when you're hiking 2,167.9 miles, whatever it ends up being. And yeah, so basically whenever you're hiking like over 2,000 miles, you're like quarter mile, nah, that view is not worth it. Thank you, bye. But those, that half mile to those pancakes, 100% worth it. You really reconsider distances, even if they're small. Cause you're just like, no, I'm not adding that to my 20 mile daily map, like daily average. Yeah, it's well, not happening. you got to calculate the round trip. Exactly. It's like, oh, it's a quarter mile. All right, yeah, that's a half, half mile, mile round yeah. trip. Half mile. <laughs> what if I do that five times today? Nope. Yeah, exactly. Not doing it. Pancakes are worth it. Half mile's worth it. Do it. And there was a cool little path there. Yeah. I think there it was, was like on pallets or something. Yeah. Along the way. Uh-huh. It was awesome. And that shelter that, w- that we came from, that was right before it. We heard about it from somebody else at that shelter. And then we were like, we got to get over there and do it. Um, but that shelter was right on the lake. And when you get to Maine, one of my favorite birds, I'm definitely like kind of a naturalist ecologist in my blood. Um, but there are loons up there. And I love, loons I think are really beautiful birds, but they also have this, such a unique call. Um, and they had loons like out on this like beautiful, um, picturesque Maine lake out there. It was amazing. Just a good scene. What was your favorite town? I really, I like Tanover a lot. It was very starchy. Hanover is, is um, very hoity-toity. There were not a lot of places like hostels. There, weren't, there wasn't a hostel in Hanover. You sort of had to rely on the good faith of trail angels in the area to like open up their homes to you. We even tried to stay with some fraternities and they were like, you can't camp on our lawn. Um, but as far as like restaurants, movie theater, all that sort of stuff, like the town is very picturesque new england kind of town i thought that one was really beautiful but honestly i really love stratton maine like that was the that was the evening that i so needed to propel me through that last portion of the trail maine and the whites just tear you up so much that yeah i mean if that's what the if stratton was that town like that motel that we stayed at just there's like this really cool strip that you can walk down of shops that we went in and out of I still have this like hair clip that I bought or that Lachlan bought me actually and sent me um, from that downtown area. I mean, just like very small town friendly vibe, um, which I think is like a main thing in general. But yeah, it was like the town that I that I so needed. It was good timing too, because it was kind of like the last refresher yeah. before the end because mm-hmm. it was so close to the finish line. Yeah. But still much needed rest at that point in time yeah i'm sure there are others like there are some really solid trail towns out there i love roanoke even though it's not really a trail town like if you are in parisburg i think that's where you hop off where you're the closest to roanoke take a trip into roanoke because roanoke is just an awesome city daleville daleville thank you thank you thank you thank you yeah roanoke yeah roanoke is amazing do you remember your favorite view yeah so i think this one is kind of underrated i never heard about it i'd been to the shenandoahs before Loved the Shenandoahs, very beautiful. Um, had done some like car camping in there, but the Stony Man Cliffs were really cool. Um, yeah, I I thought those were really awesome. We ended up having a photo shoot up there with you, me, Curly, and Cal, and it was it was awesome um, and just like incredibly beautiful. I think it was even something that like normal day hikers, as we call dikers, as we call them. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, they anybody could like kind of park relatively close and come check it out, and it was 
it was just really beautiful there. And then another one, we were in Maine, pretty chilly night after this, but Michael and I were hiking just the two of us and he was like kind of going through some stuff and I was tired and we weren't really sure we were going to camp, but we got to the top of maybe, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I just saw like one of the most incredible sunsets. I saw the whole trail and we were like in a rush. We were kind of afraid we were going to night hike. And then we were like, you know what? No, nah, we're just going to sit here and we're going to watch the sunset and embrace it. And it was an amazing view because Maine is so untouched. It's the most wilderness you see the whole trail. Did you carry a unique item with you along the way that was unnecessary? Yes. So in the Smokies, actually, when my dad left, so my dad actually hiked, committed to hiking the first two weeks with us, and we made it halfway through the Smokies in the first two weeks. And when we parted, lots of tears, lots and lots of tears. But we ended up going to the visitor center there, and my dad bought me this, this little bear um, because there are tons of bears in the Smokies. Beware of them. In the Smokies, they're not fun. Outside of the Smokies, don't worry about bears, but the ones in the Smokies are aggressive. Anyway, side note. Um, but he bought me this little bear, and it was basically like kind of my little to totem, um, good luck charm, whatever you want to call it. And I clipped it. I could clip it onto the front strap of my backpack. <laughs> and I ended, up, I ended up calling it Little Timmy because my dad's name is Tim. So I had Little Timmy with me all the way up until Katahdin. He's still in my backpack. I'll probably, if I... I mean, like any backpacking I do, I'm just going to take them with me. Little Timmy. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you remember a time with extreme weather conditions? I was just thinking one. Oh, yes. Okay. This is one I specifically remember with y'all. It was, so our hiking crew at that time was you, me, Curly, and Calorie. And that was right after I had visited a friend in Roanoke and was there like right around my birthday, um, right before my birthday. Um, and we were headed to Spy Rock. That was her recommendation. Spy Rock was going to be so cool. Um, and so we were hiking and we could have probably camped somewhere else. And I think I was like, no, y'all, Spy Rock is going to be so awesome. Like we, we got to just keep pushing it. It's worth the mileage. And that afternoon there was a thunderstorm and everybody else had decided to, to seek shelter. And so we stopped at this one shelter that we thought we might make it into just to see Spy Rock the next morning or at least take a brief pause at. And the shelter was packed. And Michael ended up sitting on the edge of the shelter. And this woman, um, Portia, I think it was her name. We don't like you. Just letting you know. Because she kicked him basically out of the shelter. And so I'm one of those people that when I'm angry or when I'm upset or disappointed in people... Ooh, disappointment. I don't show, I'm not an anger, upset, like loud yelling because I know disappointment bothers people more than anything else. And so I sat on a picnic bench looking at everybody who was packed in the shelter who didn't make room for us getting soaked without rain gear, looking them straight in the face as stoic as I could be and as helpless as I could look getting drenched. Um, just so that I could like hope one of them felt remorse about not making space for us for five minutes just to kind of be out of the rain. And then we ended up pushing on and y'all were miserable. I think you got in your rain gear. Um, and I was just like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to start jumping in these puddles. The trail was a river. And so I'm like running, like splashing in the puddles. And I remember somebody being like, how are you so happy right now? And I was like, because... There's nothing else to be. 
Um, you don't like, this is all about choice and however you perceive the situation is what you're going to end up actuating. And so I was like, I can either be miserable and be afraid that I'm going to get soaked or I can just be like, I'm going to get soaked. I'm not going to wear my rain jacket. I'm just going to roll with it and then hope I dry off once we get to Spy Rock and it stops at some point eventually. Um, and it ended up stopping and like we changed and dried off and had a funny interaction with Thundersnarf and saw Spy Rock and it was a great evening. Like we loved it. Um, I thought that was a pretty good end to a sort of miserable day, but yeah, there's a lot of just pouring rain scenarios where you're like, you either just, you worry that like everything's getting drenched or you're like, well, didn't come out here to feel good about myself, did I? <laughs> That's a reminder. The humility of the weather. Spy Rock, is that when Curly was, we got to the top and he was talking about filtering the- <laughs> We got to the top of Spy Rock and it had rained so much that there were these cesspools that had gathered with tadpoles in them. And he was like, y'all, we can filter this water. And I was like, we are not filtering standing water with tadpoles in it for our drinking water. He was like, no, it's fine. I'm like, no, dude, it's not fine. (laughs) There are lines we draw. I think he was like the first one up, or you two are the first one up. And yes. he like immediately got so excited and yelled down, I think, to me and Cal. He's like, 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 bring, he's like, bring your filters. <laughs> he's like, there's water up here. <laughs> he totally did. I Did you guys bring filters? No. Okay. I'm pretty I sure I like, think there's I, tadpoles I, in the water. I was like, dude, don't listen to him. There are, there are <laughs> animals swimming in this water. <laughs> there's an ecosystem. <laughs> there's, there's all, yeah. Which I guess is true in streams, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's this tiny, it's like a tiny pool. I mean, we weren't pool. desperate. I mean, it just yeah. rained. <laughs> Break your filters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I remember thinking he was joking, and then he, like, was serious <laughs> about it. No, Michael. What were some of the hardest obstacles that you faced out there? <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is sort of a physical thing that only females can really identify with. <laughs> If you catch my drift, like having your period on the trail sucks. Um, There's a serious reality to that. Like no matter which way you spin it, it just, and it just seems so unfair. Like there are a lot of times in life where I'm like, man, it's unfair to be a woman. But that one is just so biologically based that you're like, there's not even anything I could have done. So that kind of sunk. That was a pretty tough obstacle, but um I don't know. Otherwise, like people say when you're training for a marathon or a half marathon, it's 90%, it's 10% body, 90% mind. And we sort of discussed that before. And I think that's so true. Um, One of the biggest obstacles was my own, not self-doubt about me being able to finish it. I think maybe because I was so confident that I could do it. I was like, I can do this. So like, why do I need to finish? I know I can. So why do I need to be here? Somebody please answer this question. Um... And I think, yeah, my own, my own mind was like my biggest enemy on the trail. And I didn't, yeah, I left like a lot of time just for me to think and I'm an overthinker. So I think, yeah, that was a really big problem for me. Just going over the same things in my mind once I already thought I reached a solution and rehashing them. So, yeah. Do you remember what your toughest climb was? Yeah. I don't remember, what was the name of it? 
It was that day when we went through Mahusik, but it was right after. It wasn't the notch. It wasn't like that crazy boulder thing. It was the climb right after that, and you guys were all ahead of me, and we were trying to get like 17 miles in that day, and I think I was at mile 13, and we were crushing, you know, until we hit Southern Maine, and I just remember being by myself and in last. Like, this is a competition always, because that's that's who I am, um, and who I desperately try not to be, but I was like, I'm last. Like, why am I so slow today? I'm just dying out here. I've hiked 13 miles. Like, that's jump mileage, you know? Not true. 13 miles is worth something. And especially in Southern Maine. And I remember whatever climb that is right after Mahusik, I just got to the top, tried to find cell service, and maybe call my dad, maybe call my mom. And I was like, again, just like, I hate this. Like, this is the worst thing ever. Why am I here? Um, and I don't know if it was like particularly craggy or dang perilous, but yeah, I just remember it being very miserable, just being alone and dragging and yeah, doubtful. It's funny that you say that because Mahusik, for those of you who don't know, is supposedly, I guess, the hardest mile on the trail or it's known to be. I mean, I disagree with that. It's not even really a climb. It's just kind of yeah. a mile of maneuvering mm-hmm. around and over these big, huge Physically boulders. difficult. That's the thing. Or like you just need kind of to be really coordinated Tact. for that yeah. mile and mm-hmm. think about each step and how you're going to lift yourself over under the big boulders. But it was kind of fun in it the was... sense where it was different and it was... You know, it was like a kind yeah. of puzzle that you have to solve as you as you go through it. But it's just funny that you say that you experienced your toughest climb right after that. Yeah. That was a pretty, like, after I got through that, I felt really stealthy. I was like, oh, I'm cool. Like, mm-hmm. I just slipped my pack under some places. I can't believe I even got through there. What the heck? I jumped from one rock to the other. These big boulders. I felt, yeah, really coordinated. And then after that, I, yeah. Again, highest highs sometimes paired with, like, the lowest lows. Right. I can imagine like the that James Bond theme song playing like while you're trying to maneuver and because uh, you feel slick or, or at least I did when I was going through Mahusik but if someone was if there was a bystander looking at me trying to <laughs> I'd be like three quarters of the way up a uh, boulder and be like oh this is one of the ones you're supposed to go under and yeah, <laughs> totally. down like shimmy oh I got into some where I'd be like I gotta back up I don't think I can back up okay gotta make this work sounds good yeah, there were some close calls, I think, in there. Yeah, there. I, I was committed to not taking off my backpack when I went through there. I remember that. I did take mine off to I slide through some. I forget if I did some. or not. I can't remember, yeah. But I did, I did, like, there were some that I went under because I wasn't tall enough to, like, climb over. And I ended up, like, throwing my back over, sliding it under. Or through wherever I went. And the cool thing about Mahusik, literally, yes, was I was the... The little refrigerator pockets. Yeah. It was like an icebox down there. Right. There's these little like places of shade that are covered by rocks so much that I guess sunlight doesn't even get to shine there. Yeah. So it's just, they're so cold, they feel like they're refrigerated and it's almost like a fan that mm-hmm. you get hit with or something or an open fridge that once you pass over it, you just feel that little like puff of, of cool air, which was nice and refreshing. I remember there, was this, there were streams, too, that were underneath there, which I think contributed to the decreased temperature. But also, 
that water was ice cold. Mm-hmm. I think I filtered some of it because think, it was so cold. Yeah, I just like wanted to experience it a little bit. Who was the most interesting person you met on the trail or just on your hike in general? So one that we met really early on, my dad and, and Curly can appreciate this, was a guy who was at top of Georgia with us. This is five days in or something like that, five or six. And I think his name, he went by multiple things, um, but we came to know him as Alabama and we met him in top of Georgia. He had this like, again, with the Under Armour sweatshirts, Under Armour sweatshirts, watching on an iPad right along too. That's the one with Ice Cube and Kevin Hart, just for those of you who don't know anything about pop culture. Ride Along 2, sequel to the original movie that has Ryan, or sorry, yeah, Kevin Hart and, and Ice Cube in it, which is just hilarious. And we make this Ingalls run, and we all get like normal resupplies or what, you know, what we think we need. And he rolls out of this Ingalls with his resupply, just has multiple bags of peanuts and a 12, like two six packs of Pepsi. And then proceeds to tell us that that's his 21-day resupply. He wants to just go. He's spent so much time waiting for gear, being out of the woods, that he just wants to commit to 20 days in the woods. And the only thing for sustenance that he's bringing are bags of peanuts and Pepsi. And we were like, whoa, what is this? So we heard a story later that they were doing this ATV rescue for this other guy, and he ended up his other name then became Pepsi. So he ended up catching a ride on the back of an ATV um, and was never seen or heard from on the trail again. That was it. Just got off after that. But, you know, there were a lot of interesting people, but he was the one. He offered me some toffee while he was watching Ride Along too. Like, he was a friendly dude. Not one of those, like, um, I feel weird about this guy. Just almost like he's got some life story that I'm sure is going to break my heart, you know? Um and there were people like that for sure out there. And then other than that, I think one of the most interesting people I met was Terry, Pterodactyl. I love that guy. Um, but yeah, retired firefighter, also like worked in a hospital, cleaning, like stripping beds, or like cleaning rooms or something just for the heck of it, or told me all about his family, but just like such a gracious and giving guy, like a 55-year-old kid, you know, just crushing it with the the college-age kids on the trail um so yeah he was probably one of the other one of my favorite people and also one of the most interesting did you listen to anything while you were hiking i live and die by spotify and i made playlists for curly and i while we were hiking hamilton dom knows we listened to a lot of hamilton um so when that came out we just like sing that over and over um because it also told a story, which was nice. But yeah, most of the audio was music I never listened to. We listened to Serial, which I had heard before, but that was a good one. And then occasionally Invisibilia, a couple of podcasts. But really, I just listened to music like early in the morning or late at night or real when I really, really needed motivation. But otherwise, I kind of liked just being in my own thoughts. It was sometimes bad for me, but... I might be misremembering, but did you at some point get like an iPod? sent to you or something with music yeah so i i like had issues with phones and then eventually got the the ipod or like an iphone i touch kind of thing um sent to me i think it was my sister's iTouch sent to me in west virginia and that's when we started having music again so there was a stretch where i just like it wasn't an option um 
And then after that, that's when I made like, I made a playlist for Curly. I made us this really awesome like soul playlist. I made us a 70s like Marvin Gaye kind of playlist. Great reggae playlist on there too. Do you still have those on Spotify? Yeah. Like we can link yeah. those playlists maybe? Totally. Okay, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Check out those show notes for Emily's playlist. So how disconnected were you from society? Pretty disconnected. So the phone situation for me, I had a phone, um, but then ended up right before the trail switching from my regular phone to a cell phone, to a flip phone. And I had a flip phone during the whole trail and then had some sort of accompanying smarter phone that I could like up, like take pictures on and listen to music on. But otherwise I wasn't regularly uploading photos on Facebook. Um, mostly to interact with my friends. I was calling them just like on like a normal call on the phone and texting on a flip phone sucks. So I didn't do a lot of texting either. So I th- I'd say I was like, I was pretty disconnected, um, but connected to the people who I wanted um, sort of connected to me and kept up to date about everything. And yeah. Did you journal while you were on the trail? Yes, I did. I had a journal entry for every single day I was out there. I think it was 196 days. I don't know why that was the number of days that is cemented in my mind. But yeah, I ended up doing the last journal the night before Katana on my phone because I could type faster than I could write. And there was just so much going through my mind that I made a note and then I ended up transferring it to my journal later kudos because that is a feat (laughs) all in its own yeah the trail really like makes you so pooped that when you get into your sleeping bag at night the last thing you want to do is write about everything that happened but I think I got like there was a certain point which I just I couldn't turn back you know I journaled too many days to just quit so kind of like the trail (laughs) how did that affect your trail experience I think it really enriched it. It's definitely affected my sort of post-trail experience, being able to um, reflect on on the trail. I've gone back and referenced them, read them, been inspired by them, laughed, cried. Um, so it's been fun to kind of be on that emotional journey with myself again. So I'm really appreciative of that. And it's just one of those things, too, that I'm like, I can't wait to pass all this really raw stuff on to like my kid or my grandkid and be like, grandma did that crazy thing. And maybe they're like, oh, I want to do that. And they read through those journals and it inspires them. So that was sort of my motivation. But yeah, I think it made me remember events too from the day that I would have otherwise forgotten. And I asked like you or Curly or Chuck or Cal just about what happened so that I could make sure I had those things documented. Do you have a go-to trail story that you tell your friends and family now to give them an idea of what the trail experience was like? Yes, (laughs) I do. Um, It was that one time that we ended up getting handed like four bags of paper bags of croissants in some town. We like went to the grocery store. I got myself like a sandwich or something. We're outside eating like Cheeto puffs on this bench with some other kind of like crazy dudes. I'm eating grapes. I eat, I crush a whole bag of grapes. We, I think, got like a watermelon or something. I don't know. We're having a feast. And we're walking down the side of the road. And a guy pulls over on a bike and is like, do you guys want some croissants? Who says no to croissants, you know? Real world or trail life. You don't say no to croissants. Free croissants. So we take them. No, somebody else drives up in a Subaru, rolls down the window. You guys want a bag of croissants? Okay, sure. This is getting <laughs> kind of weird, but like, I'll take these croissants. 
again, we get offered croissants a third time, maybe even a fourth. And so I just like clipped bags of croissants to my backpack and then carried two in my hands, like decided I was putting up the hiking poles for the rest of the evening and just, I was committed to these croissants. Cause I think somebody was like, "M, like we're not gonna eat all this. I don't care, we will eat all of these. I, I can eat one of these by myself and there's four of us. So I'm bringing all of them. And they were like ham and cheese croissants, chocolate croissants, it was amazing. Croissant best, really great trail magic too. Um, but yeah, the one story that I generally tell um, as like my, this is the realest reel of the trail right here. And this has to do with Stratton. Um, so Michael and I are hiking, you're a little bit behind us and um, <laughs> and I'm just miserable. Don't ever hike when you're hungry. Don't ever run out of food if you can avoid it. Um, but I'm tired. We stop listening to audio and we're just like trying to make the miles pass. And I end up tripping over my hiking poles and then falling onto this bush, almost impaling myself in the butt with this like sharp pointy trunk that somebody had like probably chopped off or whatever, um, kind of broken and looked really sharp. And I seriously almost landed right on my butt, almost landed right on it. I ended up kind of rolling to the side and got back up and really, really wanted to cry and was like trying really hard to fight back tears. And Michael was right behind me. And so I'm like, I'm like, Emily, just get up. Like, don't, don't start crying. Cause then you're going to have to stop and talk about it. Just like, keep going. So I keep going. I keep going and I lose it. And he starts to hear me and he's like, Emily, are you crying? And I was like, yeah, I'm crying. Why? And he was like, you know what? No, we're just going to sit, have a little bit of food. We're going to split this food. And then we're going to hike the rest of these seven miles and it's going to be great. So he sits down on his pack. I sit down on mine. There's no place to sit. We're in the middle of the trail, just sitting in the middle of the trail. And he has a bagel and or a half of a bagel, some jam, a piece of soft cheese and a baby Ruth. So he gives me, he bites half the baby Ruth. He gives me the other half the baby Ruth. I eat the baby Ruth. Yeah, baby was great. Then he gives me this piece of spreadable baby bell cheese or whatever it is, laughing cow cheese. And he's like prepping this disgustingly jellified like bagel. Like he's squeezing so much jelly onto it. It's nasty. I might as well just squeeze it straight out of my mouth. So he's preparing this bagel for us. And I open up this piece of spreadable cheese. My legs are kind of spread apart. Like I'm sitting with my elbows on my knees, unrolling this cheese package. And I drop the soft cheese onto the forest floor. And I look down and there's already snot running down my, my face from crying earlier. I look down at the cheese and I look up at Michael and Michael just bites his tongue cause he really wants to, so he's trying really hard not to laugh. And I look up and I just start crying again. And just even more snot is coming out of my, down my face. I'm like disgusting crying and I pick it up and I look at it and it's covered in pine straw and dirt and I start trying to dust it off. I'm picking little pieces off and just put it in my mouth. And I ate this cheese covered in pine straw, ate the pine straw with it, and then just looked up at Michael and I was like, I don't think I've ever felt so, so like needy in my whole life, like just so emotional. And it's like, you know, sometimes it just happens and that's, that's the trail for you. Some days you just, the only piece of food that you have is a piece of spreadable cheese and you drop it on the ground and you eat dirt simultaneously. <laughs> and then that was followed by a really amazing hamburger and root beer. Um, 
But yeah, we were just laughing and I was crying and then you rolled up a little bit later. And I don't even know what that situation looked like because you can't cover up that you were crying in the, in the span of like 10 minutes. My whole face was swollen from that experience. So that was, yeah, that was pretty well. Where the five second rule becomes the five hour rule on the trail. Kind of gross thing too. I also remember there were some loose M&Ms on the ground. And one time I was hungry enough that I picked up a solo M&M off the ground and ate it. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know where that M&M nope, came from. Nope, don't know where it came from. It wasn't even packaged, like by itself. I saw a few. I might have eaten more than one. <laughs> the important thing is that you're still alive. <laughs> I'm here, ladies and gentlemen. What was your typical diet like? What would you usually eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? So um, breakfast generally consisted of oatmeal. Um, you introduced me to the cream concept. So the oatmeal, like peaches and cream, bananas and cream, is like a powdered milk with it. And you can have that cold in the morning, and it's almost like a breakfast cereal, which is great if you don't feel like heating up water, which you pretty much don't. At some point in the trail, you're just like, I don't, I'm too lazy for that. Um, not too lazy to hike 2,000 miles, too lazy to heat water up every morning. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd usually have oatmeal and then maybe like a spoonful of peanut butter. Always had a jar of peanut butter on me. And then lunch would be like some sort of tortilla with a packet of tuna, peanut butter. I usually, if I did, it'd be like peanut butter and banana chips or some sort of dried fruit and roll that up. Probably have two of those. Um, when we really got into the thick of the hiking or like tuna and then I'd bring like mayonnaise packets or something try to spice it up and then dinner was always a pasta nor rice sides pasta sides they have a lot of options I feel like they know that there are hikers out there that are using these and they were like well you know what we're gonna create Korean barbecue barbecue style rice we're gonna create ranch style rice Thai chicken like they had so many options it was amazing so yeah usually I ate at first I was eating half a rice side and I was like, there will never be a day that I will eat a whole rice side in one dinner. No, that day definitely came. Do you have a favorite rice side flavor? Oh, whatever that one that was like, it was some sort of like Asian fusion rice side. And I can't remember the name of it. It was a pretty popular one. Um, I also like just like the generic, like kind of Tex-Mex. Um, rice side, that one was really good too. But yeah, I'd usually put tuna in it. And they had tuna flavors too. So if you picked the good combination of the rice side flavor and the tuna flavor, like lemon pepper or yeah, sweet Thai chili, you know, you could really find some amazing creations. What was your hygiene like? How often do you think you would shower or I don't know, how did you just stay not disgusting along the way? So I, yeah, I mean, like, I think honestly, hygiene is more important for females than it is for males. That's like about like wearing cotton or synthetic underwear. You don't want a yeast infection on the trail. If we're going to be really honest, that's really gross. Um, so yeah, hygiene is relatively important. With that being said, I didn't bring like wet wipes or anything to like wipe my, like any part of my body off with. Sometimes I would get in rivers. Um, but generally we were going into towns like every four to five days and generally just like switching out <laughs> underwear was like enough to like keep personal hygiene like three times like within those four to five days was enough to keep hygiene like and then just make sure you really wash your clothes every time you get in town but yeah I never 
I felt, I knew I smelled gross. I didn't know I smelled gross because I couldn't smell myself. But I remember when my grandparents picked all of us up, right before the 100 mile wilderness, my grandma made me realize that we smelled that bad. Um, so that was, I guess, when I became aware that we didn't have the best hygiene or maybe just we all had built-in funk. But yeah, I never did anything like super special to stay clean. Just the, just the usual stuff. Probably took 30 minute showers when I got in town though. Because showers are a luxury. Was there a notable right place, right time moment? So, you joining our group was cool. So Michael and I actually, right after we left Daleville and Troutville, we had just been with three guys. Terry was one of them. There were other two. Um, and they were about the same age. They will go unnamed. They know who they are. Um, they're just like pretty rowdy. Terry, I love, and I'm glad that he ended up hiking for stretches with us afterward. But Michael and I left and we were like, we just want it to be us. You know, we want to have Emily, Curly time, uncle niece, you know, and just like kind of keep heading on. And that night you were at our shelter and then ended up going to the same place with us the next day and got incorporated into our like mileage schedule. And yeah, I mean, it just like worked out so well. Like you meshed so well with both of us. Like I felt like I had a cool conversation with you when it was just the two of us and Michael felt that way too. And I remember we talked about it too. We were like, this guy's cool. So that was awesome. And then I had met Calorie before and we had a good stretch that we had hiked just the two of us and I had gotten to know him and just really liked him and thought he was cool. I remember one day we were hiking and we came up on him in the woods and we were like, would you like to be a part of our band of merry hikers? And then the rest is history until he had to had to leave us in Fort Montgomery. And then again with Chuckles at Upper Goose, homeboy shows up looking like a skeleton. We're like, Chuck, first of all, can we take care of you? You need you need guidance right now. You need friendship and community. You look like Tom Hanks from Castaway. Like, bro, what happened to you in the last 150 miles, 200, whatever it was that he was grooving? Um, so that was really fortuitous also, right place, right time kind of thing. What do you think you took away from your hike? How has your life changed? So at the very end of the trail, um, Michael and I got up to Katahdin and then you, um, and Sabrina and Delilah and Chuck came up a little bit afterwards. And it was kind of nice that it was like the two of us because we had like done the whole thing together. Um, but then I also kind of wish in a sense that we had waited for y'all and just like gotten that experience because we had spent so much time together. And I think like the last on-trail lesson that I had sort of cemented my mantra for the trail, which is that like you never know, like until this experience is over, you have not soaked every morsel out of it. Like you got to see this all the way through to the end. And that last lesson for me was one of the most significant. And also, yeah, told me like, that was at the end. If you did not finish this hike, you would have never realized this. Um, and that was that sometimes when you have this really big goal in your life that's really important to yourself, like sometimes other people don't think it's that important or that amazing. Or I guess I just expected when I got up to Katahdin for there to be this like amazing gospel choir welcoming and there was going to be, it was sunny and I would feel like God's hand was on me or something blessing me for having endured this amazing adventure. And I got up there and felt really emotionless, which is crazy for me as like a pretty emotionally charged person at times. And I 
felt void. I didn't feel accomplished. I didn't feel excited. I got up there and I was cold and I saw this sign that was supposed to commemorate <laughs> this experience that could not be summed up in this, you know, like what three by two foot board looking at it and people like worship this when they got up there and I'm like, this is a travesty. This hike was miserable getting up here. Was, I thought I was going to die. And I get up here and there's just this board. Like I knew there was going to be this board, but that's it. I'm not going to cry or anything. And I was hiking back down from Katata and I thought to myself, like you decide the merit of your own achievements and you can't really seek that validation in anybody else. And that's just sort of set me on track to like pursue things that I'm passionate about whether or not I, I receive validation from anybody else. Um, because nobody clapped for me when I got up there and nobody cheered. And Michael and I don't even think hugged because we were so cold. So I thought, you know, like some of the biggest things in your life, there's not a party or a celebration associated with it. Like you got to create an own, your own party in your head. Yeah. Very well put. Yeah. I'm sure people are clapping right now. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> standing ovation. Yeah, that was a rough lesson to learn, though. To come back from that disappointment at the end. Well, I think that has a lot to do with just unreasonable expectations. Yeah. I experienced that on some sort of level as well. Just because, I mean, you think about this moment for so long. Mm -hmm. And when you get there, you realize it's just like every other moment. Yeah. And... It's not just like, you know, you take that step at the summit and like a switch goes off. You're still the same person that you, you want were. that that switch though. Right, but yeah. it's not abrupt by any means. It kind of, it might not even sink in until much later. But I mean, yeah, it's like that saying, it's about the journey, not the destination. The destination. So those words are definitely very true. It's hard with something that's so destination based though. You know, like I think there's an emphasis on everything that you do while along the way, like we know we learned a lot, but it's about getting to Katahdin. So when you get there, you're like, all right, right? It is about the journey. Mm -hmm. And now the journey's over. Right. Well, I don't think it ever ends. That's true. The, the impact of the journey yeah. continues on. But just having that goal yeah. is what Katahdin is there for, what Springer is if you're going southbound, or what any terminus of any trail is. Yeah. It's just, you know, the end of the in-between. But it's all about the in-between. Yeah, absolutely. What comes to mind now when you think about the trail? It seems unreal. People, I get different responses from different people. If I talk to people in the outdoor community, they're like, oh, I know somebody who did that. That's like so cool. And you sometimes, yeah, again, you don't get the validation. You think you, the credit you think you deserve when you're talking to other people who have hiked it. Like, oh, I'm not in as rare company as I thought I was in. Um, but we are. We are in, in some thin ranks, amazing ranks, incredible ranks, kind of crazy ranks, but thin nonetheless. And I think, um, yeah, that just also kind of remembering that it's something that not a lot of people accomplish, something I try to like think about a lot to make me realize how amazing it was. But in a sense, I've, I've finally got myself back into normal life, which definitely was a struggle. Um, and took quite a lot of time. I remember going into a paneer on my way home and it was during lunch. 
like a lunch rush and I had to leave. It was so overstimulating. The amount of people and the, the volume and that Panera was just way too much for me to bear. So I left. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a hermit forever. But having reassimilated back into the real world just makes it seem like the trail never existed. Like if it had not left the imprint on who I am now and the way I think, I would have think it never happened. It's a good thing that you have a journal. Yes. It is scary to realize it kind of fading from memory. Like not even being able to remember trail towns and stuff like that. You know, you think you'll yeah. never forget it. It's such a momentous part of your experience on the trail. But I mean, after a while, it does all kind of blend in. There are other things that occupy your consciousness later when you're in the real world that like have to take precedence. So the trail hits the back burner when it was, yeah, like the only focus in your life consumed you. Would you hike it again? 100%. No questions. You asked me that when I came down from Katana and the answer would have been absolutely not. Um, but yeah, same way too. I'd hike it northbound. I do it now. I do it in 20 years. I do it in 60. I do it again more than once. Yeah. Slower. I would not do it. I would not hike it as fast as I did. Yeah. That says a lot after hearing about all the miserable moments that you had to endure. Why do you think you'd hike it again? And why are you so certain? Um, I live for that kind of adventure. It's, yeah... I think in a sense it's sort of an addiction for me, um, seeking those kind of life-altering, miserable challenges. Like when I push myself, especially physically and sports, whatever, I always try to hit that point where it's so painful that I'm like, why am I here? Why am I still pushing myself this hard? And I think, um, yeah, I just, it's a little, yeah, a little bit of an addiction to push yourself to that, that limit, but you do learn so much there. And there is like this great euphoria that's associated with it. But also just like I've made incredible relationships from the trail and to experience that all over again, maybe in a different life stage, just to see what it would have to offer when I was in a, in a different headspace or having already hiked it, I think would be really cool. And yeah, nothing, nothing that's like worth achieving is ever easy. So if you're miserable for a little bit of it, almost like glorifies your victory even more. All right, so now it's time to get into the technical side. Cool, cool. Now we're going to talk about the gear that you used. So I'm just going to kind of try to rapid fire, but you can get into it as much as you want, whether you recommend the I'm stuff, not a gear you don't head. recommend it. Yeah. Okay. What kind of backpack did you use? Gregory Diva, 60 liter. Had one of those before, pretty solid pack, heavy. Footwear. Ultra Olympus, swear by those suckers. Trail runner. Trekking poles. Lecky, cork handles, um, aluminum body, I think. They were previously my dad's. Rock solid. Tent. Seed house, uh, one person tent, Big Agnes. Sleeping bag. Favorite item on the whole trail, Western Mountaineering Alpenlight, 20 degree. Down. I love it. Favorite possession, I think. Sleeping pad. 
That was a Thermarest self-inflating, um, like not too expensive. Ended up breaking within the last two weeks and I slept kind of uncomfortable, but it's all good. Made it pretty far. And your stove and pot? Stove was a Soda Windmaster. Um, my dad got that for me for Christmas and it's really great. Windmaster in the sense that like, if it's really windy, you can still light this stove and it'll stay lit. And then pot was a recommendation of a previous through hiker. So second stamp of approval, ever new 900 milliliter pot. I think it's titanium. Any other gear that you can think of that was crucial? Um, I would say pack cover, good investment. Um, not that it's like really, it'll help with like light rains, but waterproof stuff sacks are everything. Get rid of all the stuff sacks that, you, that they give you that are crappy and just buy some good waterproof stuff sacks and stick everything in there. Cause even when your whole pack gets drenched, those sacks will stay dry. Especially if you have like a down sleeping bag, your extra set of clothes, really, really important. Yeah. So now we're just going to get into some personal favorites of yours. Cool. Cool. Do you have any favorite quotes that you would like to share with this audience? Yes. So I kind of decided between two because they're both sort of long. And I'm going to go with this one because I feel like it goes with the trail more. This is from a guy named James Allen. As the smallest drop of water detached from the ocean contains all the qualities of the ocean, so man, detached in consciousness from the infinite, contains within him its likeness. And as the drop of water must, by the law of its nature, ultimately find its way back to the ocean and lose itself in its silent depths, so must man, by the unfailing law of his nature, at last return to a source and lose himself in the great ocean of the infinite. Wow. <laughs> Replay that? Just think about it a little bit. Food for thought. Well, thought about that one a lot on the Let trail. that sink into that vast ocean, ocean of, drops <laughs> of consciousness. And and... Can you give us a little summary of what that means? Um, or how so, you interpret it? Yeah, the way that I, I, I think I found it in a shelter log. Um, or at least a snippet of it and then looked it up and was just enamored with it. But to me, um, so much of this kind of underlying theme on the trail, conversations that we had, books that I read, kept um, convincing me that it was important to open, open yourself up to a space to kind of connect with those serendipitous possibilities that life has to offer that you can only take advantage of when you are willing to be to be that open to the unpredictability of situations and also put yourself at the mercy of other people's kindness. And so to me, like, and it's all water leads back, all drops of water lead back to the ocean. And in the same way, we're all drawn back to this sort of infinite source of energy that connects human beings, which is a really like unifying concept that I, I loved, but also just like encourages us to open open up to each other and embrace the possibilities that those connections can have for really amazing things. Awesome. That's yeah. a very fitting quote. Yeah. Did you want to say another one or No, the other one's really long. Really great. Okay. By Thomas Merton about loving others. Check it out if you're interested. Okay. Favorite book or any book recommendations? I read a lot while I was on the trail. Michael and I ended up getting hostile sent to Greasy Creek. Just watch out for Greasy Creek is all I'm saying. Bonnie's a really sweet lady. People who hang around Greasy Creek are kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, we got some, some Kindles shipped there. Great idea. Another piece of gear that I highly recommend. Um, 
I tore through books. Favorite books that I read on the trail. Had read this before, all-time favorite, The Alchemist. If you are going on the trail, definitely have to read it. If you are just sitting at home listening to this, still definitely have to read it. Um, it's amazing. Um, the Art of Hearing Heartbeats was another really good one, just a fiction. And then lastly, The Nightingale was a historical fiction set in World War II about these two really incredible women who are sisters. And I read that at the very end of the trail and spent just, I stayed up way too late reading that book in my tent. Um, also just crying. It's sad. Beware. But a very, very good novel. Any advice that you'd like to give to any future long-distance hikers, backpackers? Yeah, my biggest piece of advice, as I wrote this down too, is take every single piece of advice with a grain of salt. Um, which also just really goes along with the hike your own hike. People will tell you everything that they know about through hiking, and it could be valid because they've done it. Um, but it's also kind of invalid because you're not them. So just keep that in mind when you start, when you finish, and anywhere in between. Another thing very well said. And <laughs> just to wrap it up, if anyone listening wants to follow you on social media, where can they find you? <laughs> I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is the great MC, E-M-C-E-E. -E. Um, but yeah, I'm also on Facebook, Emily Morris. That's Emily with an I-E at the end. But Dom probably will spell it. Cool. Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes as well. And that wraps it up. Cool, cool. Thank you very much. If you guys are looking to get in touch, be it that you have any questions or suggestions regarding this podcast, please shoot an email to hikertrashpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in and happy trails.